You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Hey, listeners, In the Dark, the hit podcast, it's back. In its first season, as you know, In the Dark earned a Peabody Award for its in-depth study of the Jacob Wetterling kidnapping and murder. In season two, this groundbreaking podcast is a brand new story with incredibly important consequences. It's the case of a quadruple murder in small town Mississippi and a black man who is on death row after being tried six times times for this crime you can find in the dark season two right now on apple podcasts stitcher or wherever you listen to your favorite audio if you enjoy being outdoors but hate mosquitoes like i do you'll love (laughs) patio shield patio shield creates a 15 foot mosquito protection zone it's lightweight portable and comes in three bold colors discover for yourself why thermocell repellers are so highly rated and backed by a 100 percent satisfaction guarantee thermocell patio shield turn it on mosquitoes gone use code crime to save 20 percent on patio shield at thermocell.com if you enjoy being outdoors and are as much of a baby about mosquitoes as kevin is <laughs> yes or no yes <laughs> I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, we'll look at Caliphate from the New York Times. This podcast gives us an inside look at a journalist who reports about ISIS. We'll also welcome season two of one of our all-time favorite fake true crime podcasts, Done Disappeared. Plus that and a whole lot more. Joining me to dive in is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and favorite front lawn vacuumer, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Uh, Rebecca, now, come on. There is so much freaking sand. Yes. On, on my lawn this year. I can't believe it. I mean, the winter wasn't, like, all that you bad. You sound like an old man. I do sound like an old man. But, like, when the, all those the snow melts, you're like, there's a goddamn beach on my uh, in my grass. You know what the women who listen to this podcast are thinking right now? Sexy. How can I make him mine? <laughs> lawn problems. See, that didn't happen at my lawn. I woke. I like was like, where did all this dog poop come from? <laughs> when all the snow melted. It's the second coming of the brown and yellow, and the, the, the post snow days. Also, with my guess is you didn't launch all the dog poop with your with your snow blower. Like I did with the sand and the gravel. <laughs> the guy that did the spring cleanup d- used one of those, like you know, spray leaf blowers, uh-huh. and it blew a good portion of it off, which was kind of <laughs> handy. <laughs> All right. Well, we've already heard her voice, and joining us to dive into everything we're talking about tonight is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and colonial life survivor, Laura <laughs> Bricker. Hello, Laura. Welcome back. Welcome Thank you. Back to 2018, Laura. Welcome 2018. back. I'm going to say I survived growing up in Vermont, which is pretty much like growing up in a colonial town, so I could handle it. And finally, the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and Book Club Colonel Plus Gun Show Captain Toby <laughs> Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. How are? <laughs> <laughs> Are you bootering me right you. now? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Well, um, one piece of business I just want to mention. Um, we next week we'll be talking about the incredible return of one of our all-time favorite true crime podcasts, In the Dark. Kevin, we were supposed to talk about that this week, but we chose not to. Do you want to explain why, real quick? Yeah, you probably heard that American Public Media, APM, APM, uh, purchased an ad that our agency placed with us. We don't go out and solicit these, but it showed up, and we just didn't want it to appear that they are purchasing um, our review. We, we've always told you when this happens. Um, so anyway, we're it's going to- It's not payola. It's not payola. <laughs> <laughs> I think we mentioned it before. We, we actually mentioned it on the podcast before the ad popped yeah, up, which yeah. is we were going to talk about. I cut it about. out, actually. Oh, you cut it out. Okay. But, I did. Yeah, anyhow. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But uh, it just, just so you know, just for full transparency, you can decide if- uh, you can decide if that little bit changed our opinions at all. <laughs> it's not gonna. It can't be bought. It can't be bought. It's, you can't be bought. And Kevin, have you listened to the first two episodes yet? I actually have not. Oh, have you guys I talked about it all? I haven't. Saving but it I'm up. Totally. Totally. Spoiler alert: to it. Um, the ad is not going to change your mind. It's fucking great. Mm. I'm just going to say it right now. Okay, so Laura, we hinted at it in the intros. We need to talk a little bit about your vacation. Uh, first off, there was a, a gallant substitute understudy in for you last week. And Quite gallant. <laughs> Quite enthusiastic. He, he was very enthusiastic. And I do want to tell you, I, I want to walk back something I said. I believe I said that sometimes you characterize yourself when talking about pop culture stuff as, I think I said, um, a dummy from Vermont. And first yes. off, I'm sorry. As that was coming out of my mouth, I was like, I don't think she's actually said those exact words. <laughs> I, well, I've said something similar, and I'll put it in context. I mean, when I say, like, I grew up in colonial, like, um, era Vermont, like, literally, I did not have electricity until I graduated high school, and I get to watch, like, one hour of TV a week. So my parents, like, decided to be hippies back to the land. So I really have no reference for pretty much any kind of pop culture thing that happened between like 1976 and let me see when would that be like 1992 so you don't know who Fonzie is <laughs> so uh, unless it was on reruns when I finally got cable when I went to college so yeah so I would I would characterize I mean I might not use the word dummy but I would say I have a, a big missing gap of pop culture right. so and, and that is what I was referring to yes and I will say that if you put Pee Wee Herman next to the other guy they could be related I'm just gonna say I've had some support for this they do look very similar although one is a lot more sinister now, I have a question for you, Laura. Um, we talked about the Habitat last week. Did you listen to the Habitat mm -hmm. or not? Um, after your review, I didn't because no. I really, I was so disturbed by all the fart talk that Patrick was bringing up. I was like, I don't think I want to listen to this podcast. So um, you saved me some time there. Well, I will say um, he came out swinging in yes. a way that we don't typically do. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, Laura, like... Are you willing to come out swinging that hard at some point in the future? Because I do feel like that is one thing that's missing from this podcast. I think we all have a sort of measured New Hampshire sensibility where we're like, we hate something. So let's first talk about the music and production and everything else. And then later we'll talk about how much we hate it. And Patrick was just like, it was the worst podcast ever made. <laughs> well, and then the guy tweeted at him, one of the guys who made it. Oh, you and mean I was the like, producer oh of the show? <laughs> yes, I was like, oh my god, oh my god. So I'm I'm willing to come out swinging. I am, I am, and I had so we had a lot of fun listening to Patrick on our way driving back to the airport after our colonial adventure down in uh, Colonial Williamsburg. Um, so it was it, it was good traveling listening. Laura, I'm going to put it in terms that New Englanders will understand. All pro quarterback Drew Bledsoe missed like three games, and Tom Brady came in. 
and Drew Bledsoe never came back. <laughs> so I'm Does just saying. I mean, I'm never coming back. I'm just saying you got to keep your game up. All keep right, your game up, Laura Bricker. <laughs> oh no! Well, and nobody right. cries about not having Drew Bledsoe. Well, back. one of the fun things that happened actually after our review of the Habitat was a listener tweeted to us and said, "Did you hear that some of the crew members also weren't happy with the podcast?" And I was like, do tell. And then one of the crew members, the man that Kevin and I referred to between ourselves as the third guy, the third man yeah. whose name like we didn't really hear much and whatever. He tweeted us a bunch of tweets about the the crew's dissatisfaction with the process around the podcast. Apparently, there was a fact checking process they weren't happy with. They a lot of them decided to stop sending material to Lynn Levy. And then he had this whole thing about just um, the process pre-production, like nobody wanted to participate anymore, which explains, I think, Kevin, why we didn't hear follow up from everyone at the finale. Right. After everybody got out in that last episode, I think yeah. they only talked with Shay. Or they right. only seemed to talk with Shay and get, I don't know, who they got... Uh, Cyprian, Cyprian, the, yep, and and Shay, and the scientist, yeah. Toby, just as as uh, you know, I don't know if it's coincidental or timed, but um, I, I saw in Huff Post uh, they had a, a video interview with Shay. Yes, and it was it was uh, part of a, some other video series, and and the director was uh, Jared Leto. Jared Leto of all folks, Jordan Catalano. Jordan Car- Catalano. I wonder if, by the way, if that would have changed uh, Patrick's position on it if he knew that Jordan Catalano was. He doesn't involved. remember. He's very anti Jordan oh, Catalano. Okay. Look, they had video, and she, they had Shay talking to the camera, and she was, you know, I, I thought she was actually pretty good, and, and and kind of put her thoughts together very well. But like the like the B roll they had of like these these folks in the habitat, like doing experiments and stuff, I was like amazed because I'm thinking the whole time they're just in there like an igloo, right? Like they're doing all sorts of mission control stuff that seemed really cool, yeah. And we didn't hear any of that. And I'm, I'm like, I was a thumbs up on the podcast, but I was like, now do you understand my problem? Yeah, I was like, you're wow, you guys, were, yeah, you're right that there was like, <laughs> there was other stuff there that really could have been mined. Yeah, I, I mean, that was that was my impression. My feeling was that it, they should have done a like an actual documentary movie. I, I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of probably some good visual stuff that could have could they could have gotten out of it. Yeah, because you were kind of left, you know, so much of it was about the environment. And and because you didn't have any visual reference to it, you kind of had some like somewhat clever sort of scene setting. But um, anyway, I, I think it had a lot of problems. And I think the fact that the people who are actually in there also had problems with it. Uh, is pretty telling. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, the 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 further I get from listening to it, like, the more angry I get about it. Even though, like, I think I gave it a thumb sideways. I broke format, Laura, as you know, last week, yes. and gave it a thumb sideways. But um, yeah, Andres Stewart was the third man who responded to us. I'm the third man. He says. Not a fan. Uh, we stopped sending Lynn content when it became clear it was going to be less science-based and more reality show. Getting on the nerves of mission support was the last straw for me on that front. Then he says, fact-checking was a mess. Facts on first round contained many inaccuracies. Tried to withdraw entirely at that point. I'm an NASA contractor now and have a responsibility to ensure they're presented accurately and respectfully, but Gimlet refused. Then he says, subsequent Oof. rounds of fact-checking and review were rushed. Schedule given didn't respect the fact that we have lives outside this project. Incidentally, I still haven't heard the finished products. When I finally had a chance to review, the review links had expired. And the whole project left a bad enough taste in my mouth that I'm not motivated to listen to the podcast now. Oh, and he says, finally, most importantly, not everyone hated Shay. 
though there were personality incompatibilities between certain crew, should help show the level of the show's inaccuracy. I actually appreciate learning better eating habits and being held accountable for getting into shape, for example. Hashtag Team, team Shay. Shay. So, yeah, that was the uh, nice. review from Andres. And also, by the way, uh, we heard the whole story about how Cyprian and the Paris attacks, uh, things happening at home that you can't control. Shay lost her grandmother while she was in the habitat, and that was never mentioned in the podcast, which is weird to me. Yeah, right, Kevin? Been, yeah, that would have been an interesting thing to explore, I thought. It is. That was like a better illustration of what they were trying to get to uh, with the whole Cyprian thing in, in, in the Paris attack, in that it was... It was more personal. It was the kind of thing where absent being in the biodome or whatever it was, you know, she would have been at the funeral and with her family and all these things. And that was kind of the sacrifice that that she made. So I'm sure there's a reason why they didn't do that, but it seems like they chose a less effective uh, means of sort of making that point than they could have. Right, right. All right, Kevin. Uh, for the next segment of our podcast, can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. Something happened in the Anand Syed case this week, Kevin. Yeah. Uh, so what was it? <laughs> <laughs> the calendar, Rebecca. Uh, the clock uh, kind of expired. Not expired. It, it's it's been a month since the uh, the Anand ruling, and so from the Court of Special from Appeals, from the Court of Special AKA Appeals, AKA COSA. Yeah. So on April thirtieth, that means that the Casa's ruling has been affirmed. All right. They've actually they affirmed the the circuit court's granting a new trial. So what what this means is the state now has fifteen days to file a petition for a writ of cert and to go to the state's highest court. And it hasn't said either way what it's going to do. If the state does go ahead and it tries to appeal to the state's highest court, Justin Brown for Adan Syed could file what's called the conditional cross appeal. Yeah. And they could re-argue the things that they've lost. And it was a good thing because in the last appeal, they ended up winning, as you recall, on the Asia McLean right. claim, which they lost in Judge Welch's court. Right. And um, What happens if the state doesn't? If the state doesn't, then it gets uh, sent back to the circuit court to find a, a trial date. Basically, so what's going to happen is either there's going to be another cross appeal or non is going to get a mandated new trial. That's exactly. what's going to happen. Yeah, right. So and it's like 15 days. Yeah, we'll know in two weeks uh, what's what's next on on the uh, on the docket. That's very exciting. But by the way, full disclosure: earlier today, I did tape an undisclosed addendum episode, and Susan Simpson said this was not unexpected. So basically, the thing the state would have filed with COSA was like a reconsideration thing. Yeah, where they basically would have been saying like, "Are you sure that's the decision you wanted to make?" Right. And it's basically a waste of a step. So like, it was, they're not surprised. Right. So their next step is actually to go to a higher court. Right. If they want to, and the higher court doesn't need to grant a, a writ uh, of uh, certiorari. So just say cert. It's better. I'm cert. Yeah. Yeah. Which it means they don't have to hear the case, and All if, right. then it stands. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I just want to like kind of get to this meaty thing. So, can you please say this for me? Another true crime podcast update. And I'm not saying the Adnan Syed case is not a meaty thing. I just know there are going to be many more discussions about it. Uh, yeah. Before we can actually like say something happened. Yeah. So sorry, Robbie, if you're listening. <laughs> she she forgives you. I'm not saying Dunn disappeared is more important than Adnan Syed's <laughs> case. However, this week. One of all of our favorite podcasts made its triumphant return for its second season. We are welcoming back our favorite fake true crime podcaster, John David Booter, taking on another fake unsolvable solved case in Dunn Disappeared season 
too. The year is 1980. Jimmy Corder is our president. Minimum wage in America is $3.10 per hour. Ray Romano has just begun to make the decision to seriously pursue a career in stand-up comedy. And John Lennon is shot to death outside of his hotel in New York City. That case has never been solved. But that's another story. So our friend John David Booter takes us back to the 80s for this case. <laughs> to take a look uh, at the case of the Davisville goose ganker. And uh, there's a lot of satirical wood here that's just as cutting as in season one. But one of the things that came up today was that it turns out that this case, the Davisville goose ganker, is similar to a real life case that Toby Ball was exposed to Come on. in his real life. Toby, what are you talking about? So the the uh, parallels are eerie. <laughs> <laughs> so the town I grew up in, Manliest, New York, uh, we had a swan pond Stop. in the middle of town. Manliest, New York? Oh, my God. Manliest. M-A-N-L-I-U-S. Oh, okay. It's like the neoclassical thing. Like, there was a general Manliest. Yeah. We don't care. Keep going. Tell us more about the pond. <laughs> you know, I want to know about the You don't want to hear about general Manliest? Manliest? No. There's a, I wanna, there's the a big story. The Manliest goose ganker. No. Uh, the swan yeah, swagger. Well, it's a swan swanker. Um, <laughs> swan swanker. <laughs> oh, okay, so anyway, the the, uh, the swan pond is like the symbol of our town. Like Booter says, our cops have a patch with a swan on it. No shit, really? Yeah, we traditionally have a very good soccer team that plays on a field that's quite a ways away from the high school, but is right next to the swan pond. So anyway. Did a Civil War icon found your town? <laughs> I don't believe so. That would be a great story if he did, though. But what happened was, and this actually happened in the 80s as well, is some uh Cue the some 80s kid, music. Like, wait, wait. I'm going to yeah. download one of these tracks and I'm going to drop it in right here. All right, Toby, keep telling the story. And, and then some kid in, in the in the town, and this is when I was in college, I think, uh, so it was in the 80s, went to the pond and actually decapitated two of the swans. <gasps> and it was like a big deal. And like, people <laughs> wanted to like hang him wow. from the uh, from the lamppost in the center of town. They wanted to tar and goose feather him. Exactly. But obviously, you know, he was like a, clearly a troubled kid and... Uh, all this stuff. So anyway, but that this, that that did happen. So when I was listening to this, there was a little bit of PTSD going on. Oh wow! I have to say, this is kind of similar to the story that Fireman Ken told me tonight. What? Uh-oh. I think we could find some clues here, people. What was the story says, Fireman Ken told you? Well, so we are listening to this. This is like my second time because I was like, oh, we have to listen to this again on the way back from uh, dinner tonight. And Ken goes, I have a goose story. I shot a goose once, and my cousin. Chopped its head off after I killed it and sent it to his girlfriend. Whoa, oh! So I'm telling you, I think these could be connected. Wait, should we just blank out that person's name? Because I don't want that person to be like yeah. found on the internet and uh, vilified. Yeah, his his cousin's kind of a weirdo. So um, yeah, it was uh, there was a lot of goose things happening. Apparently, John David Booter found a pretty hot case. I uh, so right. the, the John David Booter done disappeared parody. Mm-hmm. I have confirmed, and I this is a fear that I have had because you know that like I find this podcast especially hysterical mm-hmm. in a way that perhaps matches with my 
unhealthy feelings about Payne Lindsay and the resentment I have about his stupid podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I feel like a lot better. Something happened today that made me feel like just so much better about this. As you know, I'm on a Slate podcast. Right. Uh, called Mom and Dad are Fighting. It's a parenting podcast. And the people who make these Slate shows are like legit professionals. We have like Slate writers, Slate editors. You know, you've met some of them. They're I like have. Yep. So much smarter than we are and so much cooler than we are. And the producer of the Slate podcast that I uh, am on connected with me today. And he had as his username on the thing, John David Booter. Yeah. And I clicked on it and I was like, oh, you listen to this beer? And he was like, oh, my God. It's brilliant. <laughs> and I just felt like, yes, I'm not alone. It's brilliant. No, people really like this podcast. It's really, it's really fucking brilliant, brilliant Rebecca. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb and I have to live up to Patrick. It's the most fucking brilliant podcast I've listened to all year. It is. In it this is. genre. It is. Now, this is, Kevin, this season two is clearly a set of, of Atlanta Monster, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly taking a lot of the notes uh, from that podcast. Like it, what kind of notes is it taking from that podcast? Well, I mean the eighties and like <laughs> a case that's already solved. Once again, I took to Google and scoured the internet for cold cases that took place here in Davistown, Pennsylvania. That's when I had an epiphany. I had already solved one cold case, but what I hadn't done was solve a case that wasn't cold at all—a case that had been closed. For decades. Obviously, John David Booter is to Payne Lindsay what uh, Weird Al Yankovic was to Michael Jackson. The other thing, just like, let's put all the Payne Lindsay parody stuff aside. Let's please, yes. What I love about this podcast, the ideas behind the parody are creative and satirical. As we mentioned a few months ago, The Onion put out a true crime parody podcast that I thought was inferior to Dunn Disappeared. Mm-hmm. Because Dunn Disappeared even does, like, with audio, what bad true crime podcasts do. Like, it's not making yes. fun of good true crime podcasts. Is making fun of bad true crime podcasts, and that's funnier. They made fun of us, by the way. It's just funnier. <laughs> Before you say that. <laughs> but like the music and the sound design. The music was really good this time. I liked how we had a lot of music at the end when we had the questions like, who was he? This is the story of one of the most prolific criminals in the history of the country. You know, that's when we knew that there was a ganker on the loose. And a series of crimes that shocked the world who's just snatching them up right out of their backyards, just pulling them right out, leaving nothing but dust and feathers behind. There Where did he go? <laughs> what happened? And we had this very, like, 80s synthesizer music in the background. That was a very nice touch this time. Laura, what do you think about John David Booter's uh, frightening, medically mysterious weight loss and that now his head is so big for his body that he has to have a special brace? <laughs> <laughs> Are you worried about him? Um, no, it's funny. We had a whole conversation about this in the car because my son really enjoys John David Booter. So we were listening to it. And he's like, Mom, what does that mean? And I was like, well, it's like the last sentence where he had to go talk about humility and, and things like that. And he's like, oh. So, I mean, I want to see some pictures. I want to hear some more about his new lifestyle. Uh, it sounds like he's got some new women friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say the biggest – this is – um. The part that was the biggest outrage on our car trip while we were listening to this. We finish it, and my son's like, Mom, where's Johan Johan Johannesburg? Oh, yeah. Ah. New music. So I tweeted to John David Buter. I said, what what happened? My son wants to know where Johan Johan Johannesburg is. And he said, JJJ mysteriously disappeared and is presumed dead and murdered. Mm. But right now, I have to focus on this decades-old case that is already solved. Thank you for your support. (laughs) 
I like how he said, like, but I wanted to focus on something that was more personal to me. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, the attention to detail that the podcaster known as John David Booter pays, not only to the um, actual podcast audio, because let's just think about the montage audio here at the beginning, Mm -hmm. right? There's this amazing setup, and I, because I am a professional podcast reviewer, was privileged to hear the first episode of Dungeons Disappear Season 2 in advance, mm-hmm. as you know, Kevin. And I received the episode, and uh, I started listening to it in the kitchen at my computer and made the mistake of taking a drink as I was listening to the first 10 seconds of the episode. And as soon as that montage guy said, We was uh, scared. I literally like did a spit take of my water. Uh, but um, I will say that the attention to detail that John David Booter pays in the social media posts that they do with the vintage photos of the goose pageants. Mm-hmm. And then also he did a Reddit AMA last week. And the Reddit AMA was so committed to the character and the storytelling and the style of this podcast. Kevin, can we ever aspire to be this good of a storyteller? No, we cannot. <laughs> we definitely cannot aspire, aspire mm-hmm. to be that good of a storyteller because he's just really good at telling stories. You like to listen to him, just like you like to listen to the great stories from Audible. Oh, it's true. Audible books are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, running, road tripping, any downtime you have outdoors, just plug them in, and there you're. Poof, you're taken off to one of the great books of our time, like Killers of the Flower Moon. Oh yes, yes. It's not too late to listen to David Grand's fantastic true crime book ahead of the crime writers on Toby's Fun Time Toby Ball. What Toby's are we, what are we Balls it? Deep Dive Podcast. Balls I thought it was Toby's Toby Time Toby Book Club. Balls Deep Dive Podcast. Toby, no. No. It has it has a thousand names. Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Book, book Club Podcast, yes. Balls Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Well, I'm just saying, if you don't want to use your eyeballs, use your ears to listen to a great book <laughs> like Killers of the Flower Moon and then join us for that book club podcast as an audible member you'll get a credit every month good for any audiobook regardless of price and your unused credits will roll over to the next month and if you don't like an audiobook not likely but if it happens you can exchange it no questions asked rebecca has 57 million audiobooks i do i'm listening to an awesome series right now that i'm loving so much what is it it's the pharaohs series by chris i'm going to totally butcher this last name it's like chris old yeah o u l d takes place in the pharaoh islands and i'm so obsessed with it that as you know oh you made me look that up i've been like looking for you at trips to the pharaoh islands it's like it's like it's not close to the Shetland Islands and it's not close to Iceland. It's kind of in the middle and I'm like, we are going to huh. go to this place because it's weird and I'm reading books about it on Audible and I'm obsessed and I love the characters. It's so great. It's okay. the Chris Old Pharaoh's Island series. Well, that might be a downside for some people for Audible. <laughs> That your wife will start listening to some exotic book and want to go there. And then make you spend tens of thousands of dollars on a trip to go yeah. there. It's much it's much better to just listen to the audio book. Start a 30-day trial and get your first audio book for free. Just go to audible.com slash crime. Crime. Or you can text the word crime, crime. to 500-500. That's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash crime. Crime. Or text crime to 500-500. You can do it with audiobooks. What else you got, Kevin? Well, uh, Tommy John 
is the 21st century clothing company famous for its no wedgie guarantee? I can't even with Tommy John. And after 10 years of underwear excellence for men, they are turning their superpowers to women's underwear. Oh, they are. What makes Tommy John unique is the comfort factor. They are committed to providing mind-blowing comfort with quality fabrics and innovative, intuitive Designs. They're sold, winning in that. Yeah, they've sold over 5 million pairs of underwear in the past 10 years, and Rebecca has bought half of them. I think I have. I really do. <laughs> Tell us about your Tommy John underwear obsession now. How many times have you last two weeks like, oh, I made another underwear purchase at Tommy John? Yeah, a, a, a scary amount. I am replacing all my old underwear with Tommy John underwear. I love the oh. air briefs. It's my favorite pair. I love them so much. I can't say enough good things about them. And Laura, I mean, aside from the fact that you were showing people your underwear <laughs> while you were wearing them, can you attest to Rebecca's underwear obsession with Tommy John? Yes, I can. And I am on a similar plan because it's time to get, they're just so comfortable. And I think I've inspired some others to show their underwear to people. So, you know, there's just a lot of underwear love going on when you wear these underwear. Can I just say one other plug about Tommy John underwear? Sure. So like the briefs, like I'm not like a brief person. I'm mm-hmm. more like a... I've been in my previous lives, like a different kind of underwear person, no panty lines kind of thing. They're like invisible, thin, comfortable. They don't move. They breathe. They're clean. They just like feel good. These are, and I am like a person who does not always say this, the best product of the underwear category I've ever worn or purchased in my life. I love them. Well, Tommy John underwear is backed with the best pair you'll ever wear or it's free. It's true. Guarantee or it's free. Uh, Tommy John no adjustment needed. No, legit. No adjustment needed. They're talking about wedgies there. <laughs> Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash crime for crime. 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash crime for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash crime. Crime. Now, before we move on, one thing we forgot to do before you so effortlessly slid into the ad break, Kevin. I just want to go around the horn. Um, Laura, are you enjoying season two of Dun Disappeared? Would you recommend it to people? And uh, do you plan to continue listening? Absolutely. I, I've i already listened twice. I just It's so clever. It's so funny. You pick up new little jabs and digs and little uh, satirical comments every time you listen to it. And it's just freaking hilarious. Like Goose Ganker. I'm going to be going around all the time just being like, hey, have you, have you heard about the Goose Ganker? Yes. What does the word ganker even mean? I don't, people don't even know. I don't. I, <laughs> does it matter? I mean, I, I don't know. Leave it to your imagination. Uh, Toby Ball, what about you? Are you enjoying season two? Done disappeared, and would you recommend it to others? Yeah, definitely. I, I actually, it's. I think it's funnier than the first season. Ooh, so, good. Yeah, I do too. Kevin, what do you think? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, why even ask? Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a great podcast. It is it's very a great funny. podcast. It's hilarious. It's beautifully produced. The attention detail is great. And you know, we have heard some feedback from some listeners who say like, "I just don't get it. I don't think it's funny." I will say, as Laura said, like, listen to it again, and you like you you get more uh-huh. every time we listen to it. And I would never tell someone to listen to something twice if they didn't like. But like, it's good. It's really really good. All right. So moving on. The New York Times has been going to its deep bench of journalists to make some very high quality podcasts. Everything from Kevin's must listen slash must dance to The Daily to shows about advice and pop culture reviews. The newest installment in their premiere selection of podcasts is called Caliphate. It's an up-close look at the work of Times journalist Rukmini Kalamaki, who reports for the paper on 
ISIS. I knew that you were a reporter. Mm-hmm. I knew that you talked to terrorists on the internet. Right. I knew that ISIS was your beat. But I don't think I had any idea what that reporting actually, actually looks like. like. Right, right. Yeah. Hey, Hawk. When you hear that, it's outgoing? Outgoing. Like, I didn't know you are going right up to the front lines of the war against ISIS. There's a building that appears to have been airstriked. And as the coalition soldiers are pushing ISIS back... Can you ask him, have these buildings been cleared? You are right there, directly behind them. What are you doing right now? I'm trying to get out some trash bags. We're about to go into the building. And you pull out garbage bags. Hang on, stick it here. Like trash bags that you've brought from home. And you just start picking stuff up. Bunch of computers, hard drives yanked out. Like garbage out of buildings. This is so the school we basically location. have an ISIS tamper here. Um, so we're in the right place. Kalabaki pulls back the curtain on how the terror group draws people to the cause and life as a war correspondent in an attempt to answer the question, who are we fighting? It's early in the series, so there isn't too much to spoil. However, if you want to skip ahead to our review of Caliphate, you can find the time code in our show notes. I don't know, though. I think I would just listen to the conversation if I were me. <laughs> I hadn't listened yet because it's, it's that kind of podcast. All right. So I want to talk about um, at the beginning, there is a short prelude to Caliphate. And a lot of like other five podcasts, minute yes, yeah. they, they use it as a trailer opportunity. But I actually think that little six minute thing or five minute thing is, is actually something you should listen to. It sets the podcast up nicely because between that and the first episode, we do get this introduction to Rukmini Kalamaki, who is the reporter behind the show. Um, so, Laura, uh, we hear how she does her work. And my question for you is, is she the most badass person we've ever talked about in the, all the media that we've covered on the history of the show? Yes, I and I use and I know this sounds sexist, but it's just I was like she has like balls of steel. Like there is no way in hell I would ever want this beat. And I like I I mean my God, like not only like is she reporting on ISIS and and talking to people that are in or have left ISIS, she's like stealing their garbage for crying. I mean she's like really badass. Yeah, um, to put it mildly. Well, I do want to talk about that first episode because. One of the ways that they set up the sort of beat of covering this, and this is a big part of it, is like, what is your job? How do you do it? Is they do talk about how when you report on ISIS, it's important to, you know, after a bombing from the coalition forces, go into the building that was bombed and steal all their stuff, steal their hard drives, steal their papers. I thought that's what the military was going to do. You've been a reporter. Yeah. Uh, you've covered things. Has that ever been a priority for you? Like taking all the stuff so you could put this puzzle together? Uh, once. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly not in a bombed out place. Though. No, it's it's scary. Toby, what do you think about Rukmini? Do you think that she's as compelling a character as I think she is? Yeah, I think so. And I think they do an excellent job of setting that up in that she does this like crazy, you know, going into these extremely dangerous places and and doing this crazy stuff. And then that's sort of, you know, weighed against that story she tells about when she knows that ISIS is like sort of said that she needs to be killed and that person shows up and is knocking at her door that night and she is in fear for her life and calls 911 and all this stuff. And then... The way she covers with, I think, clear-headed but with compassion but not in any way naive, 
the story behind uh, this guy whose name I'm not, not going to be able to remember. The Canadian. Who they're talking to yeah. in, in Canada. They've managed to, without like spending much time saying she's like this and she's like this and she's like this, but she comes across as a very complex, full person with sort of a remarkable, I, I don't even know how to characterize it, but just sort of a remarkable uh, set of experiences and tools that she brings to bear on this story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. Now, Kevin, I, I wanted to talk to you about the production style of this. It's so different. And I say this all the time. Like, I get really excited when I hear something that sounds new. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I get so excited by it that I will ignore things that are bad just because something is new. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I, I won't ignore it, but I'll be like, well, at you least mean like a boyfriend? No, but I'll be like, at least they're trying something yeah, new. Right. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate but when that. I first heard this show, the way it's actually put together and pieced together, I know that you think that I do. You have a production background. So they have, you know... A lot of um, uh, sound design, music, jump cuts, uh, little like insertions of audio that almost sound to me when I first heard them like Tannis or the Black Tapes podcast or a fiction podcast. Like the sound design is very sophisticated, but it's used to illustrate things that are very grounded. And to me, it sounds just very, very new. What does it sound like to you? It's doesn't sound to me as good as it sounds to you, I guess. Really? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, uh, they use the music, I think they use it, the music effectively. Yeah. And the editing's, you know, pretty good. I mean, think about the drama of the, the story about the knock on the door. And uh, I know you're going to point to the, 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 the tale where the Canadian says that uh, he was instructed to just start running. No, I'm actually not going to point to that. No, you're going to that. point to that? No. Well, but, he did that, like, you know, he's running, running, and like oh, the music. Like the, the intense the, the, music, yeah, yes. The intense music. She's like, she's like, what were you thinking? Yeah. What, what, what are you thinking at this point in time? Are you, are you, is your heart pounding? This is so stupid. Why are we running into, like, a war-torn country? Like, can't we just go in like normal people wouldn't you know cross the border and take us in like a truck or something you're recruiting us i'm thinking it was really stupid to run into enemy territory and they're just like oh like, yeah <laughs> no i'm not talking about that i guess what i'm talking about is sort of the, the 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 production structure right so we've heard uh for many many years on shows like radio lab one of the ways they advance narrative is with um like two hosts in a studio talking to yep. each other yep so like they'll have interviews with people on the outside and then it's like, oh, so Robert, what do you think about that? And like, that's how they inter- That's how yeah. they do the. This show is doing that, but in a different way. Look, that I, I do like. And the guy, why well, is his name Peter? I'm trying the to producer? Remember. Yeah. Who's basically the main voice in the show who says like. All right. Chapter three, The Arrival. Yeah. The Arrival. Which is like so great. I yeah. love that guy. I, well, I'm, I'm left <laughs> believing that like maybe there's also a companion video. Pro- it sounds like maybe he's running video. It sounds like I don't maybe know. there was a video project that turned into a podcast. Right, right. I don't the care. idea yeah. of having him interview her is good because it gives her uh, a platform to do the exposition dump. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's describing what happened. In the she's describing what happened. Yeah, and I think that look, I I'll, I'll just cut to the chase. For me, I really like the first episode. I didn't care so much for episodes two and three, and I ended mm. up just being a lot of time in a hotel, huh. and which I thought could have been covered maybe a little quicker. Huh. Uh, and I, I'm more interested in her, the reporter, uh, a, a, as opposed to 
the Wikipedia version of what ISIS is and how they get people to go. That's interesting that you should say yeah. that. Laura, you, it sounds like you agree with Kevin? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, li- I I agree. I hadn't thought about it until you said it like that, but I, I do agree because the first episode, I was I was really like, wow, this woman, like, holy shit. Like, I just can't believe the stuff she's doing and, and she's so good at it and she's just amazing. And then, you know, we yeah, it was interesting that this guy was talking to her, but I felt like, like you said, it was like two episodes of that. Um, and I was really... As a, you know, as a reporter and somebody who's worked in journalism, I was really interested in hearing about how she was finding these people, how she was gaining their trust to do the interviews. What were these situations that she'd gotten into that were maybe a little uncomfortable or a little unsafe? How did she get out of them? Um, and and I want to know, like, how did she get into this beat? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, how did she get tapped to cover ISIS? So you guys find her so compelling that you want to know more about her. Toby, yes. yeah. I think, sent me a note that tells me that he finds the story she's trying to tell more compelling. Toby, you loved the second episode, right? Yeah, I, I thought the second and third episodes were great. And it's not that the first one wasn't, and it's not that I don't find her compelling. You know, and maybe, you know, maybe people have seen information about this elsewhere. But for me, it's something I've wondered about. And this is the first time I've really encountered it, which is. You know, when they talk about these people going from the US or Canada or the UK or whatever and going to like Syria to join ISIS, that's basically the way it's put. It's like they went to join ISIS. It's like, well, you know, what the hell? That's not like I decided to like go to UNH instead of UVM or something. I mean, it's like a big, in both senses of of the word, move. So I was really interested and I thought they did a really good job of sort of describing. In the second one, the process by which the like quote unquote recruits are just like sort of alienated yep. uh, from everybody, you know, even their families, if their families don't happen to be this sort of one strain of Islam. So going, going from that to the experience that this guy has once he gets over to Syria, I mean, it is insane. Right. He goes from living in some town in Canada and basically living a, a, a pretty Western life. But then he goes to a place where he's like executing political prisoners and lashing people 115 to 120 times. Right. I mean, it's it's crazy. So I, I found that completely compelling and it, it kind of filled in a gap in my knowledge, which, you know, I was definitely aware of. And when I found that this is what this was about, I was like extremely eager to, to, to learn. Yeah, I actually agree with you. I loved the first episode, too. But I also loved episodes two and three because, you know, it was sort of the the story about this crime and terrorism. Like she basically sets it up that way. She's like, this is crazy. These people are killing other people and there are more of them doing more of these crimes than there were before the so-called war on terror started. She's like, let that sink in. There are more terrorists yeah. now than there were before we started the war on terror. And that's the premise of this podcast. And then she basically shows us, she breaks down, I think, the philosophy of the Islamic extremists, how they recruit. She breaks it down in a really simplistic way that also gives you a tremendous amount of understanding. The writing on this show is just very, very strong. And I think it's her reporter writing 
where she explains all these concepts, how they alienate this guy. So basically, for those of you who haven't listened to Rachel Lichtman's review part, uh, the premise so far, only three episodes in, is that she has found this guy. They call him the Canadian. He has another name, too, his, his like ISIS name. They go to Canada, talk to him. She doesn't think she's going to be able to, but then they do. And he basically tells her the whole story of how he's recruited into ISIS. And the story is basically was he's a regular middle class kid in a regular middle class family who's just a little bit on the margins. Like maybe his parents want different things for him than he wants. Maybe his sister's doing something different than he's doing. But he sounds like my 15 year old and your 17 year old and your 16 year old. He sounds like a regular kid who just sort of stumbled into an online chat room, started having conversations, and then through this very precise process of indoctrination was radicalized. And Kevin, when I was listening to that, and I talked to you about it later, like the the techniques they use are basically just like, hey, come over here and look at this. I know that what you're doing is good, but let me show you like a little bit of a better version of what you're doing. And then they go like further and further and further. And it almost felt like it's like very familiar it felt a little bit like U.S. military recruitment techniques. Mm-hmm. Or um, cults. Scientology. Scientology. You know. Rajneeshi. Rajneeshi. <laughs> the Moonies. It didn't uh, not feel. To, not to make an equivalency of all those groups, but, yeah. but, it didn't uh, but, feel but that the techniques. Different. Yeah, the recruit, recruitment, good recruitment techniques can are scalable and can can go from institution to institution. Yeah. Um, you know, be all that you can be. Right. Uh, you know, fill in the blank. Come, come to do this or that or the other thing. Right, know? right. Yeah, no. So it shouldn't be surprising that the people who are making ISIS what it is. You mean the best terrorists ever? <laughs> I guess. The best terrorists Which ever. Which is kind of what it comes down to, right? Like they're the scariest. Or they're so scary that they made the seasoned journalists... Like, she's scared out of her mind, even though she's, like, tough as nails, because they're super good at it. She makes that point. They are terrorists. They are. You know? But, you know, Laura, one of the things that strikes me is, like, the mundanity of it. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. ISIS has an HR department. Yeah. You need to have a reference to join ISIS? Yeah, fill out forms. (laughs) Yeah. You yeah, be that a suicide was. I was bomber? like, wow. Check this well, box. they, they got yeah, they got to vouch for this guy, and then he's in or whatever. And and then the guy that they talked to, who, who kind of laid out, you know, basically what the whole recruitment strategy was. I mean, it was very, it was like any other business. Yeah, um, which was just bizarre. Yeah. Now I have a question for you, Lara, because at the beginning of the podcast, I love that little section where Rukmini talks about how, like, if someone were to take up the garbage in her house, like walk through her house with a yes. black plastic garbage bag. What they yeah. would learn about her? What would they learn about you if someone did that? <laughs> <laughs> um, they would learn that I'm trying to recycle everything, um, even though I'm probably clogging up the recycling system, um, per an article I just read in the Sunday paper a few weeks ago. They would learn that I should be composting more than I am because mm-hmm. there's a lot of fruit and vegetables in my trash that I feel guilty about. And that I get a whole hell of a lot of junk mail. Mm. from completely like things that I don't even know why I'm on their list that are usually ripped in half or maybe a little bit more than that um, and thrown into the recycling as well. And cats, lots of (laughs) cats. They would find a lot of bags of cat food and they would find that Buddy the dog eats pretty darn well because he's eating some like ridiculous bison and buffalo food that is insane although he's on a diet now he has to have green beans mixed in which he's not so happy about. so basically they find out that you're a stupid american who loves your dogs more than you love other people yes same with me <laughs> 
So, uh, ISIS. <laughs> ISIS. <laughs> what would they find about Kevin? That's what they, I would They're know. on Instagram. They're on Tumblr. Like the idea that you yeah, communicate with that part was Tumblr. weird. I mean, I knew they were in the seventh century, but Jesus. <laughs> Tumblr. Check out our MySpace page. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's what's so interesting about it is that I think that at the same time she's telling us this terrifying story and the story of this Canadian young man, mm-hmm. and he's just telling it to her with like, like he's guileless, right? Like he's just telling her all the terrible things he did. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And she's, you know, but at the same time, she's breaking everything down in a way that also makes it seem very systematic. Toby, I have a question for you. This is more of like a political question. So you're the person to, to, to I think, to ask. Um, we hear in episode three, and this is a mistake that, you know, she basically points out that like the U.S. administration have made toward these like terrible, terrible groups. And President Obama made it with ISIS where he publicly categorized them as like the junior varsity terror group. (laughs) Was that on purpose, you think? Or was that just like a horrible misstep? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I understand the psychology of not wanting to make them seem like they're all power. You know, I think with under Bush, it seemed like it was always these terrorists are so scary and so dangerous and and all this. And then Obama was trying to walk that back by saying, you know, they're really not all that. All right. Well, I think that we should just give our we're only three episodes into Caliphate. And, you know, full disclosure, uh, you get episodes early if you're a New York Times subscriber. So we've listened to three. There are technically two out. While we're recording this, we've all listened to all three, and I think by the time this episode drops, Kevin, right, all three episodes will be out. Uh, probably. All right. So, uh, Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down? Do you recommend to listeners of Crime Writers on that they check out Caliphate by the New York Times? What do you think? I say thumbs up, and I would recommend listening to it. And I'm going to keep listening, but I'm going to have to space it out because it's pretty intense subject matter, and it's also pretty, it's pretty um, upsetting and very scary to listen to. Even though this is obviously the world we live in, it's it's sort of scary to hear it in such accurate and um, direct terms. So I would say listen, but you may need to break it up with some cozy cat mysteries um, <laughs> so you don't get too terrified. What about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Caliphate from the New York Times? I give it a big thumbs up. I think it's important. Um, I think it is very effective at, at shedding a light on something that we talk about in general without people really having a sense of, of how it specifically works. So I'm, I'm looking forward to future episodes. Yeah, me too. This is ear candy for me. In addition to being important, in addition to being like thorough and well-reported and all that great New York Times stuff, Rukmini Kalamaki is a super compelling narrator. I don't just love her. I'm a little bit in love with her and I would follow her with a trash bag into a recently bombed ISIS house, except I would not because I am too scared to ever do anything like that. But mostly I just I love the way the show is put together. To me, it's a it's a detective story. She's a detective and she's unraveling a mystery and it is set up that way. It sounds like a detective story. It feels like a detective story. And it also contains a lot of great reporting. I love it. I absolutely love it. So huge, huge thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Well, I think I'm going to be a thumbs down (gasps) and just kind of barely thumbs down. I agree. It's important. It's really interesting. You know, in a lot of places, I thought the first episode was great. I'm sorry. I can't even look at you right now. <laughs> Rukmini is a very compelling person. I really liked hearing about her in the in the first episode, but just because it's important stuff, and I do agree, 
doesn't mean that the storytelling is compelling. And I feel like the story has stalled with this first clue, which is this guy, the Canadian. And it's all this has really been. And I'm so look, I'm going not on intelligence. Uh, I'm not making an intelligent decision here. I'm making an emotional one. I'm asking myself this question. Do I want to listen? Am I going to listen to the next episode? Am I excited for the next episode to come out? Or I just kind of labor through it because I've committed to this series. I'm kind of saying I'm not, I don't care if the next episode comes out. So is, does that mean that you, fair listeners, should not listen to it? No, you make your own decision. I so, mean, for real? I mean, I you can't got three thumbs up. I'm so upset. This is the first time I've ever been like offended that you don't like something. Well, why don't you write wow. me an email like everybody else does? <laughs> write you an email. Write me an email. I'm going to tweet to you. I'm going to at you. Wow. <laughs> that's kind of, that's hateful. I mean, that's not ISIS hateful, but that's. That's fairly hateful. Yeah. What the world needs, Rebecca, is love. It does. It needs sweet love. It does. And that's why 1-800-Flowers is a great way to express that love. It sure is. Send me flowers after giving that stupid podcast review. Do it. I I, I deserve some flowers. (laughs) Well, I can actually get you a really great deal from 1-800-Flowers. It's an exclusive deal for 24 multicolored roses for only $24. You can do the math. It's just a buck a rose. Mm-hmm. And we you see, we got some roses. We put them out on Twitter. We showed people the, the nice bouquet that we got from 1-800-Flowers on our Facebook Live. We did. Last week. You see, they're great. They're bright and beautiful. Uh, it's a great mix of premium roses and a rainbow of colors. Because at 1-800-Flowers, all their roses are picked at Premier Farms and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. This is a great offer, but you have to hurry because it will expire soon. You can send this stuff to whoever you want to appreciate in your life. Rukmini Kalamaki is getting some flowers from me. You could send it to your favorite reporter. Yeah. Send it to your mom or... Michael Barbaro and she are going to be each getting a bouquet from me. All right. Well, in order to... I gave some to my friend who took care of Buddy the dog while we were gone. Nice. That's great. She was very appreciative, yes. All you have to do is go to 1-800-Flowers.com. You pick the delivery date. They handle the rest. To order 24 stunning, multicolored roses for only $24, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Then click the radio icon and enter code CRIME. Crime. It's going to bring up all these deals once you do that. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code CRIME. CRIME. What else you got, Kevin? Well, it's that time of year. What time? The time when the new Fab Fit Fun box comes Ooh, out. Oh my god, it's actually really exciting. Yeah, Fab Fit Fun is the seasonal subscription box that delivers full-size fashion, beauty, home, fitness, and wellness products. What's in the box? <laughs> Remember, Fab Fit Fun is all you need to make this Mother's Day magical. When you think of Mother's Day, think of Fab Fit Fun. When you think of Fab Fit Fun, think of Mother's Day. Well, you know what isn't in the box? Little tiny things of shampoo or whatever. Yeah, full size stuff. Yes, yes. Big stuff. Stuff that TSA will not let you take on the plane because it is that robust. It's delivered four times a year uh, at just forty nine ninety nine a box. Fab Fit Fun is a fantastic value because there are no sample sizes. Everything is, you know, big product. And actually, some of these products, their individual value is more than the entire box. So don't worry, though, if you missed your this last seasonal box because there are still great boxes. You can get the Spring Editor's Box. has favorites from spring and from other past seasons. And it also has a, a more customization options from a clutch to eyeshadow, tote, to lip gloss. And Rebecca, you certainly liked your box when I it came, right? I love my right? Fab Fit Fun box. I loved it. Every time I get one, I'm like, what's in the box? And it's, <laughs> it's all a, good. It's a great surprise. It's all good stuff. Yeah, if you haven't signed up yet, it's definitely not too late. Try Fab Fit Fun today. 
So for a great gift for Mother's Day, all the mothers in your life, go to FabFitFun.com to subscribe and start getting the box for a life well lived. Use promo code CRIME. CRIME. And you'll get $10 off that first box. That's products valued at $200 for only $39.99. Again, go to FabFitFun.com and use our code CRIME Crime. to get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. You know, Kevin, between you liking Habitat last week and doing a thumbs down on Caliphate this week. Our marriage is on the rocks, isn't it? I'm really calling this whole relationship into question. (laughs) I really am. So listeners, if you ever have like a podcast disagreement with your spouse and you want to like commiserate, tweet at me at Reb We're going to talk. We're going to talk. Now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast. A little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. Just kidding, Kevin. I do love you. I love you, too. Except you really need to learn to get on the caliphate train. Residents of Anchorage, Alaska, were alarmed this week when they found their morning papers covered in blood and blood trails to and from their properties. They later learned their adult delivery person had been mugged and stabbed by three people while on his bicycle. Maybe it was the concussion, but the carrier got back on his bike and kept delivering the morning edition. Surveillance video showed the delivery guy stumble into an apartment building covered with blood and carrying his papers. Police called the circulation department to track down the carrier, whom they found at home clearly injured. Investigators don't know the motive of the attack, but they're asking the public's help in finding the assailants. Here's my question. This newspaper delivery man clearly had a good excuse to cut out of work early. Mm-hmm. And, like, he didn't? He just kept delivering the papers? I think he was knocked on the head. And, uh, but what, know what, he was doing. <laughs> what is the lamest excuse you have ever given for going home early? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Uh, not interested um, <laughs> in work. <laughs> so I've always had jobs that were pretty flexible, and they'd have, like, a sign-out board where it'd be like, where you're at. So I would just be like, on assignment <laughs> at my house. But yeah. I didn't put that at my house. I'd be like, on assignment. Yeah. So um, I, I didn't have to give lame excuses. I just sort of left it sort of open. What about you, Toby? What's the lamest excuse you have ever given for going home early from work? It's not exactly the lamest, but it was the most sort of blatantly uh, transparent was when I was working in D.C., we had tickets to go to an Orioles game up in Baltimore and there was like this big like ruckus about who's going to drive. So my friend Matt, who uh, both had money and was sort of conflict averse, rented a limo. So we all ducked out. Like he usually worked until about six. And in order to get up for uh, first pitch, we had to leave at like you know five fifteen or something. So this limo pulled out outside our our work, which was like. <laughs> A six-floor building was all this one place. So this limo pulls up out front, and then we, we're, like, loading in cases of beer into the back while, you know, 100 people from our from our office watch. That was Oof. the most transparent. That is a bro excuse if I've ever heard one. Is this the same Washington person who later became your brother-in-law? Because I'm saying. No, oh, no, this is a different Washington person. There was There's a certain, like... Uh, theme of like questionable decisions that yeah. runs through most of my no Washington kidding. DC stories. No kidding. Uh, Kevin, do you want to hear the lame excuse I've ever given for yeah. going to work early? It was lame, but it was true. You know that like stupid dog cam we have that like throws treats at the dogs. Yeah. And you can also see them on your app. Yeah. I once 
said to my coworker, now I also like Laura, I work in a newsroom, so it's pretty flexible. But I, for whatever reason, turned on the app that I could see the dogs. And I was like, oh my God, my dog is having diarrhea on my stairs right now. I have to go home. Because <laughs> 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 I could see it. It's a legit excuse. Kevin, what oh, about you? Oh, it was you? a real thing that was happening. Oh, okay. it was. I could show people. What about you, Kevin? Uh, I went home because I forgot my belt. <laughs> Kind of lame, right? But I was like, oh, I, Kevin. Um, I really needed my belt. Are you okay? You know why that's funny? Because of the way you wear your pants, it's like so much funnier than it is any right to me. <laughs> <laughs> Your pants, like they really are in peril. Let's see. <laughs> they really are. Well, uh, Laura Breaker. There's more like marriage dynamics going on in this podcast <laughs> than usually happens. I'm sorry, wow. but Kevin, like I'm not wrong, right? Like that belt You're is like a wrong. hero it for you. It wasn't this belt. <laughs> I've worked a long time. I had to think of a lot of stupid excuses that I've had. All right, Laura Brigham, before we end the show, uh, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have a animal crime of the oh, week. No. Mm. Oh, no. Shirley Layrose, little white, little furry little dog, Max. Yep. Um, apparently, Max has an affinity for cats. Oh, so I saw this online. <laughs> she sent several pictures of Max. And her cats, and it says, lots of free love going on in my house. Max makes it a two for one. And then in the next photo, it says, Max believes in open marriages. This is him with Sophie a few years ago, which is now another cat. So um, Max is a crime of the week, and I'm sure there's something we can do about that to make this stop. I'm going to have to get to the bottom of this because no means no, Max. It's an inner species me too moment. It's a meow too moment. Meow too. It's very disturbing. Like I, I, I can't even look away from these images. So Max, I'm coming for you with a spray bottle. That's Hashtag all I have to say. Meow too. Okay, Laura Bricker. People want to tweet or like send you their cats, dogs, lizards, or other animals for cat of the week. How can they reach you online? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if our listeners want to reach out to you because perhaps they saw you on Facebook Live this week and realized your arms are super developed. <laughs> And perhaps you've been doing a lot of tricep exercises and they're very impressed, but they don't want to like sexually harass you. They just want to compliment you. Or they want to send you pairs of their Tommy John underwear. How can they find you on Twitter, Toby Ball? There's a lot of qualifying in this. Um, <laughs> at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you and express their outrage, like along with me, that you don't love the podcast Caliphate, how can they find you online? It's not about my belt. <laughs> I can't even. I can't. I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks. You're thinking about your belt right now, aren't you? Such a lame excuse. Uh, the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. It's a valid excuse, though. You legit need that belt. Without that belt, those pants are just falling young. right off. They're I was falling young. right I didn't off. You look like an apple then. Yeah, you can support us at patreon.com and you can hear Toby's amazing exclusive book club podcast. We're coming out with a new episode this weekend about Killers of the Flower Moon featuring the amazing Connie Walker, me, and Sarah D. Bunting. For other exclusive ad free content, including our spinoff podcast, Married with Podcast, you can subscribe at stitcherpremium.com. 
slash crime. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy, my ex-brother-in-law, and the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. This show is recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, otherwise known as the closet in our basement where no one, no one bangs on the door in the middle of the night. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Kevin is developing a character for Done Disappeared based on Bill Rankin called Phil Wankin. <laughs> Hi, I'm Phil Wankin. <laughs> My podcast is in a newspaper. <laughs> Have you seen newspapers? <laughs> Did you hear that? The judge sounds really mad. She's pissed. <laughs> Yeah.